0: Hey, it's Ella. I have an explosive interview for you coming up with Dr. William Davis. He is famous for his book that was revolutionary at the time called Wheat Belly. Dr. Davis is back now with more insight on gut health. And I have to say, I have talked about gut health, the microbiome, the brain-gut connection many, many times. And I learned so much from this show, so get ready. Dr. Davis talks about why he thinks cholesterol data can be extremely misleading, even a distraction. He talks about how there is one particular microbe that our ancestors had that almost all of us do not. And he talks about how to replace it. He blows my mind on how to get more out of the store-bought kombucha that I drink all the time. He has extremely easy recipes for making your own probiotic superfoods in your house. And when I say easy, trust me, my bar is extremely high for what qualifies as easy. And this is easy. (laughs) Dr. Davis also talks about why commercial probiotics don't interest him all that much and a great many more insights based on his latest research. I do want to give a small disclaimer before we jump in. As a classically trained physician, a traditionally trained physician, Dr. Davis was really disillusioned with the education provided on holistic care, on integrative health, on everything from bacterial overgrowth in our guts to the gut-brain connection to nutrition to preventative medicine. He was so disillusioned that he made major changes in the trajectory of his career. You will hear hear him come at traditional medicine pretty hard and he comes in hot talking about doctors who have not received more up-to-date, more holistic, more integrative training. If that is offensive to you, I hope you'll keep an open mind and listen for the intent behind the message, which is to encourage us To take the power of our health into our own hands. To equip us with the knowledge that is not readily shared. To equip us to make changes in our own kitchen for almost no money. (laughs) So there's a lot of power in that for each of us. And I'm really excited to share his insight with you. Oh, one last thing. Dr. Davis is in fact a doctor, a cardiologist. He is a medical doctor, but he is not your medical doctor, nor am I. This show is for entertainment purposes only. So if you want to learn more, I highly recommend getting Dr. Davis's newest book called Super Gut. I, of course, will share the link in the show notes. Okay, here we go. you're on air with Ella and today I am joined by esteemed author, Dr. William Davis. Hey, Dr. Davis. How are you? Hi Ella. I'm terrific. A lot of people will know you from your wheat belly series really made a splash in the industry. I would love though, for you to introduce yourself and tell us who you are and what else you do.
1: So I practiced cardiology for 25 years uh, in uh, Cleveland and then Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, But it was a series of events, mistakes, mishaps uh, that kind of changed the direction of my my career. So starting out in so-called interventional cardiology, that is putting in stents and doing angioplasty, aborting heart attacks, all that sort of thing. When I moved to Milwaukee, they brought me here to get established for all the new technologies. And then my mom dies. Just a few months after I moved here, she died, Ella, of coronary disease after her successful two-vessel coronary angioplasty. Oh, no so here my mom dies of the disease I thought I knew how to manage. It was, it was, this, it was this kick upside the head, right? But it got me thinking, well, you know, if, if I had my mom back, what could I have done to identify that potential? Months, years, decades ahead of time. Well, of course, the the conventional world relies on such things as risk factors like cholesterol. And to this day, I'm still shocked that that beat up, rusty old piece of crap called cholesterol testing is still around. It should have been discarded 40, 50 years ago. It's so outdated and ridiculous, nearly useless, but it fuels a major multi-billion dollar industry for the pharmaceuticals. And so the real tragedy of all that is that everybody's attention is on the useless, cholesterol and cholesterol reduction, and taking everybody's attention off the truly useful, and this is in heart disease, of course, and so, one of the things that I did was focus on actually reducing people's cardiovascular risk. Well, one of the things you end up doing when you do that and this and discard the idea of cholesterol is you do a true analysis of the particles in the bloodstream, a lipoprotein analysis—that is, fat-carrying particles in the bloodstream. So, cholesterol does not occur freely in the bloodstream; it's a fat. It occurs in a particle, a lipoprotein particle. Well, the science is clear on this. Is not like it's not my speculation. It's not my you know my guess, there's actually abundant science, over 50 clinical trials, Ella, showing that small LDL particles, not LDL cholesterol, the indirect measure, the actual measure of the particles themselves, is ubiquitous in people with coronary disease, heart attack, stent implantation, et cetera, bypass surgery, all that stuff. They all have small LDL particles. If, and you if you use a method called NMR, nuclear magnetic resonance, you'll see If you have coronary disease, you're going to have something like 1,800 or 2,400 nanomoles per liter, particle count per volume of small LDL particles. The science is clear, Ella. If you just get rid of grains and sugars, it goes away. It doesn't get 10% better. It doesn't get 15, 20. It goes away. So 1,800 typically drops to zero, and it becomes eminently clear that coronary disease is a disease of the diet. Not of fat, not of saturated fat, all that BS. It's of grains and sugars. Now, it's amplified in the presence of insulin resistance. You know, two thirds of Americans now have insulin resistance because of ridiculous dietary guidelines, as well as the uh, exploitative practices of big food and, and by inflammation. So, if we focus on the real causes, small LDL particles triggered by grains, wheat grains, and sugars, insulin resistance, and inflammation, now you have the formula for really addressing cardiovascular. And in fact, in most instances, eliminating, not reducing, eliminating cardiovascular. It's, it's that powerful, but there's no pot of gold here, Ella. There's no big expensive drug. There's no procedure. It's things you do on your own that essentially without cost are free. And so that's why it's so difficult to get this message, some traction because I don't have Merck, Pfizer, or uh, some other big deep pocketed company behind it.
0: Okay. So this is adorable because I have like my list of little notes to ask you, and you've already blown my mind and I'm throwing my notes away. I have two questions for you already. You have just raised so many questions about cholesterol. What I'm hearing you say is this is a distraction from the real problem. So can you give me the USA Today version of why if we go in and our doctor wants to focus on our high cholesterol, what questions we should ask or what we need to pay attention to?
1: You know, one really tough thing, Ella, he or she should be educated. You know, they're posing as the experts. And you know, I tell you, Ella, you know this, you're in business. In what other business can
0: the purported expert know almost nothing you, know, they are you are going to get me into so much. You're a doctor. Let's let me just be really clear. Doctor Davis is a medical doctor. I appreciate your candor so much because I have beloved M.D.s in my immediate family, and they are the first people to say there is so much science that they do not get trained on. Let's start with say women's health, or let's talk about nutrition. They are the first people to admit it, and what they do get an enormous education in is pharmaceuticals yes,
1: you hit it right on the head, pharmaceuticals and procedures. So if you need an MRI, they know exactly how to get that done. They can interpret it. If you need a laparoscopic surgery, oh, they have a good surgeon for you, right? But if you you said something like, I want to prevent premature delivery of my child. I want to use nutritional methods. And by the way, those methods are very well sorted out and very effective. They won't know. Or if you say, I need to lose weight, how do I do this? They'll say stupid things like, oh, well, everybody knows move more, eat less, right? All the stuff that does not work. And in fact, actually erodes your health when you do those things. And so you're right. They're not, we're not educated in health. We're not educated in nutrition, not educating the microbiome. There's so much. But what really irks me the most is not their ignorance, but their indifference. That is, so I, I reverse type 2 diabetes all the time. I, I was a type 2 diabetic. 30 years ago, Ella. I'm not anymore. Uh, So I've had many people go back to their doctors. Uh, For instance, early in my experience, I had a woman who, she was diabetic, 56 years old. So she's on insulin and about three other diabetes drugs, as well as blood pressure medicines and other usual mix of drugs. Well, she wants to get rid of this. So I we replace the nutrients lacking in modern life, like magnesium, because we drink filtered water, vitamin D, because we live indoors, da, 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 that all influence insulin resistance and inflammation. So she does the diet, handful of nutrients, loses not a huge amount of weight, like maybe 30 pounds, something like that. I get her off the insulin, off the diabetes drugs. Her hemoglobin A1c, that reflection of long term blood sugar, was something awful, like 11.9%, which is terrible. She's, she's rapidly on her way to kidney failure and blindness and amputations. Well, it drops from 11.9% on insulin and drugs to 5.6% off insulin and drugs. N- not, not perfect, but uh, well on her way. Her primary care doctor calls me up and says, who the hell do you think you are taking my patient off her insulin and drugs? I said, well, did you see her hemoglobin A1C that's dramatically improved off the drugs? He hangs up on me.
0: Does not compute. <laughs> right. I reject your version of reality. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so... You're exactly right, that they can be very good in their stated field, but it will not incorporate any ideas about health, nutrition, or the microbiome.
0: Well, I have family members and and friends who have said, oh, I want to try XYZ, but my cholesterol is too high and I need to deal with that first. So what should we be asking if we're told that our cholesterol is too high? It's so
1: it really is impossible to educate the doctor and say, listen, doc, you know, the evidence in favor of cholesterol is outdated. It was meant to be a crude biomarker for the particles that actually cause heart disease. Why aren't we measuring the actual particles? And why aren't you indexing my instant level of insulin resistance, my level of bacterial endotoxemia from a disrupted microbiome? And you can't, what's my 25? I, I don't know if I protein could protein? say that.
0: I don't know <laughs> if I could pronounce that.
1: <laughs> so there, it's not that tough. Elle. It really is, is very simple eradicating cardiovascular is actually very straightforward and simple, but it has nothing to do with this idea of cholesterol. So one thing you simply can't do is tell the doctor and educate him or her. So what you do is you walk out and you find somebody who's better informed, who's taken the time to understand these issues. And it says things like this, well, Ella, let's do an NMR lipoprotein panel. So we have to check a lipoprotein A, a genetic marker. That you is responding differently than other people. Let's check what your vitamin D status is by checking your 25 hydroxy vitamin D. Thyroid disease is everywhere. It's out of control. So we need to know what your thyroid status is because even marginal hypothyroidism is a major cardiovascular risk factor. Let's check your measures of insulin and sugar and blood sugar. So let's check a hemoglobin A1C. Let's check your fasting glucose and a fasting insulin. We know where you start with regards to your blood sugar. Ella, that's it. And you have magnificent insight into cardiovascular risk. It has nothing to do with cholesterol. Now, that all said, in a standard cholesterol panel, there's four measures, of course. There are two measures actually that are helpful, and they're among the most ignored. And that's the triglycerides and the HDL. And so what I, what we do is, ideally, you don't rely on a cholesterol panel. But if you do have one, take a look at it. And you want the triglycerides to be 60 milligrams per deciliter or less, They tell you 150 is okay, which is complete nonsense, and HDL, the good 60 milligrams per deciliter or greater. Now, by the way, 30 years ago, when I became a low-fat vegetarian, because I heard the nonsense coming out of uh, some some corners, so I I did that. That's when I became a type 2 diabetic. My HDL was 27, which is a high-risk level. My triglycerides were 390, and my fasting glucose were 160. So I stopped being a low-fat vegetarian. By the way, this was a time when I was jogging, riding my bike, playing tennis in my 30s. In other words, all the conventional thinking is actually destructive. It's not just ineffective, it's actually destructive. Now my HDL is 94 from 27. My triglycerides are 47, down from 390. My blood sugar, not, I'm, I'm, I'm not the only one who's experienced it, obviously, <laughs> but my own personal experience also bears a lot of this out, that a low-fat diet, low-saturated-fat diet, is, is a very destructive way to live.
0: Well, I learned a great deal from you when I read your new book, Super Gut, and the gut and talking about the microbiome is something that we have done on the show before over the past seven years, Dr. Davis, but I am really interested in getting your take on some of the key themes that you've written about recently because I know that I know that one of your aims with the book was, was to share with us that we desperately need to reintroduce our bodies to the microbial species that once lived in our ancestors, you say, while pushing back the army of microbial interlopers that have taken their place. Can you summarize that for us and tell us what you mean?
1: Yeah. So all the things that you and I are, and your listeners are exposed to like repeated courses of antibiotics. So it's not uncommon by age 40, most of us have taken 30 courses of antibiotics, much of which is inappropriate or unnecessary according to the CDC. Of course, there's other things too. There's chlorinated drinking water. There's Additives like preservatives and emulsifying agents in common foods like ice cream and salad dressing. There's other drugs like stomach acid blocking drugs, the anti-inflammatory drugs like ibuprofen and naproxen, on and on and on. We, We swim in an ocean of factors that disrupt the microbiome, but one of the consequences is the outright loss of hundreds of species. And these are species, Ella, that provided important functions to the human body. And so when you lose these healthy microbes, unhealthy, mostly stool microbes proliferate in their place. And then in many of us have actually ascended, and you've heard this before, it's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, SIBO. So all that means is loss of healthy healthy species, proliferation of unhealthy, mostly stool species like E. coli and Klebsiella and Salmonella, uh, proliferate, then ascend and occupy all 30 feet of the GI tract. Now that's important because when the small bowel has these microbes that don't belong there, the small bowel is ill-equipped to deal with that. The colon is is well-equipped. It's got a thick two-layer mucus barrier to protect your intestinal cells against these microbes. Small bowel not used to this, has a a much more fragile, thinner single layer mucus barrier. So when these trillions of microbes, they only live for hours, days at most, they turn over rapidly. So there's a lot of life and death going on in the GI tract. And some of their breakdown products get into the bloodstream, especially if they're in the small bowel. That's called endotoxemia. You know, the alternative practitioners have been talking about gut leak for years, Mm -hmm. but now it's been finally validated and corroborated numerous times. It is a real thing, and it's called endotoxemia. But it explains how, Ella, Uh, microbes in the GI tract can be experienced as rosacea or psoriasis in the skin or as depression or as Alzheimer's dementia or the neurological impairment of Parkinson's disease or the metabolic distortions of obesity or type 2 diabetes or fatty liver. In other words, virtually all human disease outside of injury and infection uh, like dengue fever or malaria, (laughs) virtually all modern diseases have to be re- Examined, reassessed in light of this phenomenon, either as the initiating factor of a condition or at least something that makes it much worse.
0: Today's show is brought to you by Tia Maria Bobia. That's her handle in Apple Podcasts, anyway. Tia Maria Bobia, she left a review. She said, this is an excellent multifaceted podcast for life improvement. I enjoy the variety of topics discussed each episode, and they always have me come away with a fresh perspective to help me with stuff that can, that I can implement in my own life and create positive forward momentum, heart emoji. Thank you, Tia, Maria, Bobia. You wrote a review in Apple podcasts. Therefore you are today's sponsor. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Okay. Back to Dr. Davis. There are a few more things I want to set the table with here, and one of them is the gut-brain connection. And a lot of people have heard this, but could you just remind us of what the data say about your second brain? What's the correlation?
1: They're very tightly connected. There is a very extensive nervous system that lines the entire GI tract, the myenteric nervous system. And it communicates to your brain via the vagus nerve. So one really good example is my favorite microbe in the world, <laughs> Lactobacillus reuteri, R-E-U-T-E-R-I, named after the German microbiologist who discovered it in human breast milk in 1962. Well, this microbe is supposed to colonize the entire GI tract. It's unique that way. Most uh, microbes stay in the colon. This guy likes to colonize the entire GI tract. Uh, and by the way. Virtually all of us have lost this. It's one of those examples of microbes we've all lost because rotori is very susceptible to common antibiotics like amoxicillin or ampicillin. So if you took amoxicillin, say, for a sinus infection or upper respiratory, you wiped out all your roteri more than likely. So almost all of us have lost it. When you replace it, it colonizes the whole length of the GI tract. It sends a signal via the vagus nerve to the brain. this case to the hypothalamus and it tells your hypothalamus release more oxytocin the hormone of love and empathy and so people do this and they experience the internal dialogue in your head changes it's more likely to be a dialogue of love and affection and empathy and of course there's a reduction in wrinkles and more more moist skin there's a a restoration of youthful muscle and strength there's deeper sleep uh as mentioned to before the show I'm a chronic insomniac. I now sleep nine hours straight through. Uh, now be careful, it increases libido and the erotic content of dreams. In other words, complete transformation. A lot of it in here, in your brain.
0: This is a microbe that you're saying has been nearly lost by all modern people because of our lifestyle and our diet and our environment. Am I hearing you correctly? You're talking about a bacteria, yes?
1: And Ella, that's one bacteria, that's one microbe. And there's a whole bunch of them we can find or restore. When I initially did this, this was based on some, uh, it was actually started with this really weird experiment that I think was either MIT or Stanford, I forget now, but it's it's an experiment called heterochronic parabiosis. And it's really creepy. It's like Frankenstein stuff. You take an old mouse or old rat and you clone it. So now you have an old rat and you have a baby rat. And then you connect their circulatory systems, heterochronic parabiosis. You connect their circulatory systems, the old rat Gets young, creepy, right?
0: Yes, well, <laughs> I I never want to read that paper. I don't want to see pictures from that study. <laughs> Nothing. I'm yeah. gonna take your word for it.
1: <laughs> well, they asked, what's the meat? What are the mediators of this effect? And it was it boiled down to a handful of peptides, small proteins, and oxytocin. And so I got thinking, well, oxytocin. Okay. And then between 2013 and 2017, there's a group at MIT. Who did their cancer group? They're looking. They're working with lactobacillus ruddy because they observed anti-cancer effects. It kills cancer cells. So they give it to mice, and they noticed something odd. They, they didn't expect it. They're just exploring stuff. They gave the mice rotari, and the as they said, the mouse mal- the mice got rich, luxuriant fur. They said, what the heck? So they studied these mice further and found out that their healing was accelerated by fifty percent. So if healing time is twelve days, now it's six days. The wound is sturdier. They gave the, the um, microbe to mice and then fed them really crappy foods meant to mimic a fast food diet, flour, uh, sugar, hydrogenated, fried oils, that kind of stuff. Well, animals who didn't get rotary got old and fat and diabetic, lost their hair, stopped mating. they got old and fat and died. The animals that got the crappy same crappy diet and rotary, stayed slender, thick fur, stayed young, played mated till death. They stayed young until they died.
0: I want to, I want to stay slender and have thick fur. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I need to, I need to connect some dots here because I know you are blowing some minds because where we started with this was being a little bit hard on the traditional methods because there's no money in what you're suggesting, not really in aggregate because what you're suggesting is that if we pay attention to repopulating lactobacillus, lactobacillus rotari, if we focus on replacing that repopulating that again, it's your job to correct me, Dr. Davis, then we. We can actually increase oxytocin. We can help restore gut health. You're saying that there are there's restoration of feelings of empathy. Can we just start dumping (laughs) this bacteria on the population of the world? Would that be possible? So Um, you catch on
1: quick, Ella. You catch on real quick.
0: (laughs) Am I hearing you right?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think I, I don't think it's a stretch, Ella, to say that a restoration of this microbe lost by most modern people. Restoration makes humans better people. And by the way, so those initial studies used a commercial product that you can buy. It comes from Sweden. The company is called Biogaia, B I O G A I A. And the product is called Gastrus, G A S T R U S, made for babies. So this company has done a good job in sponsoring numerous clinical trials in infants because this microbe, given in fairly trivial quantities, by the way, reduces colic you know, fussiness, reduces regurgitation of breast milk or formula. Uh, So it has beneficial effects in babies. Well, they sell it to you as tablets made for infants. So the number of microbes is relatively trivial. It's a hundred million of two strains, which sounds like a lot, but it might, it's, it's nothing. So I said, I'm going to amplify. it. We're going to make yogurt. I I, I regret calling it yogurt because people say things like, well, I'm going to buy yogurt. That's something different,
0: completely different. Yeah. We'll talk about that.
1: So we make this, we ferment dairy. It doesn't have to be dairy, but dairy is so easy to use. And we use, I use extended fermentation, 36 hours. You know, when you buy yogurt in the store, one, it's not made with rotarite. It's made with fairly ho-hum bacteria like lactobacillus bulgaricus. And they ferment for four hours. Well, roteri, is, uh, microbes don't have sex, right? There's no male and female microbes. They just double, so-called asexual reproduction. So one becomes two, two becomes four. Well, rotary doubles every three hours. So if you ferment like in a factory for four hours, you got nothing. So we're going to ferment for 36 hours, 12 doublings. I performed something called flow cytometry on the yogurts to count microbes. We get around 250 billion counts per half cup serving. So we increase the, by doing this, this this yogurt process, we increase the counts by about a thousand fold and that's what everybody's doing eating this yogurt and that those are the people who say things like ah oh, my skin's smoother, my libido's up I'm, I, I, when I cut myself it heals much faster, my sleep is deeper all these wonderful things happen.
0: Okay, so I want to break this down, and there are so many people right now that are like, How? <laughs> but we're going to get there, but we're not going to go there yet. I have a couple of questions just about the grocery store. I want to ask you some lightning round questions about why the products I'm about to ask you about might not be doing what we think they're doing. So you touched on grocery store yogurt, but I want to dive into that for just a minute. Did I hear you say that grocery store yogurt, first of all, doesn't incorporate the strains that you're actually seeing as the, you know, the miracle strains, and it's not fermenting long enough? Is it both?
1: Yeah, it's both. You know, you likely know, Ella, no one ever said, oh, I ate some store-bought yogurt and changed my life. Never, right? So one of the things you have to pay attention to in bacteria strain, I know that sounds incredibly tedious, but to illustrate so I've got E. coli, you've got E. coli, your listeners have E. coli, but what if you ate lettuce, contend with cow manure and E. coli? You can die of that E. coli. So same species, E. coli, different strains. So strain really matters when you start to play with bacteria. Okay. The species used in yogurt strain off it. Unspecified. You don't have any, you have no idea what, what strain they are. So it could be, it's like saying, Ella, take a drug. You say, well, what drug? You mean an antidepressant, antibiotic, antifly? No, just a drug. (laughs) So same thing here. You don't specify strain. You have no idea what you're getting. And the counts are so low as to be meaningless. Because when you're manufacturing something in a factory, production time is crucial. And you don't want to have to manufacture, you know, for 36 hours or something like four hours is all they do. That's why you'll see in the list of ingredients, gel and gum, xanthan gum, guar gum, carrageenan, because it didn't really ferment. You have to thicken it up so it looks and tastes like a real yogurt. And so there's really nothing, no reason to consume. Now, I'm sure some manufacturers start to smarten up and maybe make improvements. Uh, But for the most part, we do it on our own in the comfort of your own kitchen. And it's it's nearly cost-free and it's very inexpensive.
0: Okay. And they're really high in sugar, PS, right? They tend to be, a lot of them can be very high in sugar.
1: Excellent point. They add sugar, high fructose corn syrup, early garbage ingredients. We're not going to do that, of course. We can add maybe a squirt of stevia. And the prolonged fermentation, Ella, uh, converts the lactose to lactic acid. So the pH of the yogurt is more acidic than people are accustomed. So it, it, it be a little tart, the pH is about 3.5 to 4, which is tenfold more acidic than conventional yogurts but that acidification from the lactic acid also denatures or breaks down the casein beta A1. That's the semi-problematic protein in in dairy, so it's it's denatured or broken down by that uh, acidic pH. So dairy has problems, no question, but you've minimized a lot of the problems with this prolonged fermentation process. And of course, you can always use non-dairy. You can use coconut milk. There's a few extra steps you have to use if you do that. And I ferment other things. I've got uh, fermented veggies, hummus, salsas, uh, juices, all kinds of stuff.
0: What we're building to here is Dr. Davis shares an almost free way to combat this problem and do it in your own kitchen. So we will definitely get to that. And I still want to come back to the dairy thing because I'm confused. But put a pin in that for just a second folks because dr davis i want to ask you also about store-bought kombucha and whether the brand matters and if that's not a fair question let me know but i have a small addiction to a certain brand of kombucha and i'm wondering if i'm just free basing sugar or not what's your take
1: (laughs) several things to know so once again that hastening of production time applies to kombucha as much as it applies to uh, yogurt so what i do if One, you can make your own kombucha. It's very easy. I
0: just can't. I cannot make my own kombucha. (laughs) It sounds exhausting.
1: (laughs) If you buy your kombucha, and this is true, by the way, for all fermented foods you buy, whether it's sauerkraut or fermented pickles or whatever, buy it. Let it sit on your kitchen counter for at least 48 hours. Let fermentation go further. The microbes that that ferment kombucha and kefirs and uh, uh, typically, it can ferment at room temperature, so you can leave it on your counter. You might want to lo- lo- loosen the top a little bit because when it resumes fermentation at room temperature, it can produce a lot of gases. You don't want any explosions. I li- literally, I explosions from the oh, CO2. Oh no, room.
0: been there. I've been there.
1: Okay, so you know. <laughs> so loosen the cap just a little bit, enough for air to escape.
0: I love this tip. This is the best tip I've heard all year, because first of all, I actually thought if you left kombucha out and it got to be room temperature, you shouldn't drink it. So I was actually completely wrong Hmm. about that. And I love knowing that if we leave our kombucha out room temperature, let it sit, leave a little room for gas to escape, that it can actually increase the microbiome count. Is that the word? Mm -hmm. Microbial Microbial counts.
1: Yeah. And hugely- I'm not talking about like 10%. I'm talking about many fold higher. And these are really great organisms too. These are species like, they have crazy names. I don't make this stuff up, but Leuconostoc mesenteroides. Antibiotoccus pentasaceus. These are really, really <laughs> helpful microbes.
0: Now you're just showing off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> grandma, well, she might not know names of microbes, but your great grandma would have said, Ella, why yeah. aren't you eating fermented foods? That's how we maintained uh, food, you know, through the winter when we didn't have fresh vegetables, for instance, we fermented them and canned them.
0: Okay, one more question and then we get to the solution. My last grocery store question is, what tips or direction do you have for people who are buying probiotics from their grocery store or whatever the source?
1: Sadly, Ella, the least important thing you can do is take a commercial probiotic because they are haphazard slapdash collections of microbes with no rhyme or reason that's changing. There is one product, one, one Ella, that I'm aware of that actually does not follow that kind of silliness. And that's a product called a BiotaQuest sugar shift, B-I-O-T-I quest sugar shift. And I I know the the, the people who started this company, they're my friends, but I have, they don't pay me to say these things. But Martha Carlin started this company because her husband had Parkinson's disease, age 44, and she wanted a microbial way to reverse it. By the way, I think she's got it, uh, at least partial remission. And then she worked with a academic microbiologist, Dr. Raul Cano, and he's a big adv- advocate of what's called bacterial guilds or consortia. That is, bacteria, just like humans, right? We have a partner, we've got families, we've got neighbors and, f- and friends and coworkers. We live in communities. Bacteria are the same exact way, they live in communities. And so if you restore a microbe in isolation, it you won't get as big of an effect. Uh, as restoring the entire community. So, Dr. Cano developed the, the collaborative guild or consortium for these microbes that includes Rotorite, by the way, and has spectacular effects. I gave it to 20 of my uh, followers, and they, non diabetics, they re- reduced their blood sugar, fasting blood sugar, by 9.8 milligrams, which is huge in a non diabetic population, on a par with prescription drugs with none of the cost or side effects. So for that, that that science is unfolding. But right now, that's the only product that does that. So right now, commercial probiotics are not all that. They do help. They increase intestinal mucus. They can help suppress emergence of unhealthy pathogens like E. coli and Klebsiella. But they don't really accomplish big effects. But I think they will. As commercial probiotics do incorporate the better emerging science, they will become more effective. Right now, it's the least important thing you can do for your microbiome.
0: Okay. Super, super interesting. All right. So now let's talk about the, so what are we going to do about it? And one thing that I love in super gut is that you share a ton of recipes and things that we can do in our own homes, but let's go back to that yogurt, what we, what you're calling yogurt, but frankly, we think should be called something else. (laughs) Let's call it super yogurt. Yeah. Explain what we're doing in our own kitchens. Pretty please.
1: I think the easiest way to convey what a program for reorganizing your microbiome looks like by thinking about it like a backyard vegetable garden. So let's say it's May and it's getting warmer. You're going to have a nice 10 by 10 garden. How do you do that? Well, you lay out the plot, you pick out the weeds and sticks and stones, you plant seeds and you water and fertilize it. The microbiome, the intestinal microbiome is exactly the same. We're going to prepare the soil, meaning get rid of things that disrupt it. The emulsifying agents in processed food, preservatives, try to buy organic whenever possible, less herbicides and pesticides, Uh, wheat grains and sugars are just awful for intestinal health. So we get rid of those. Plus they cause heart disease. (laughs) And by the way, if you have a healthcare practitioner who is willing to work with you, obviously most mainstream MDs don't know, nor do they care to get you off drugs like stomach acid blocking drugs, but there are ways to do that. So prepare the soil plant the seeds. Most important seed is not a probiotic. That that can be part of it. But the most important seed, the fermented foods like your kombucha, because of those species that (laughs) made you crazy, the Lucanostoc and the Pediococcus. These are wonderful species. There's a husband-wife team at Stanford, Justin and Erica Sonnenberg. They published very good microbiome evidence. They published a study recently, and they studied the effects of uh, fermented foods. And they showed that frequent consumption I'm talking about five, six, seven times a day, small portions; doesn't have to be huge portions, uh, massively re- reconfigure your microbiome. Interestingly, even though fermented foods have those species like Leuconostoc and Pediococcus, they are not the microbes that take up residence. By an unclear means, those microbes allow other microbes to proliferate. Huh. It's not clear if they're latent or you're just more receptive to it from other people in the environment, but something happens. Those microbes don't take up residence but they allow other, many other microbes to take up. So that's the most important thing you can do. And then a commercial probiotic. I like the Sugar Shift. There's another good product called, and I have no, no, no connections with these companies. Symbiotic 365 is another excellent one because there's a little more wisdom built into them. And then lastly, the water and fertilizer for your garden are just the fibers that come from things like onions, garlic, shallots, root vegetables, uh, dandelion greens, so-called prebiotic fibers, polysaccharides, uh, and polyphenols. These are vegetable matter and they feed the microbes. And so what I tell people is try to get a little bit of a fermented food every meal and a little bit of prebiotic fiber in every meal. You make it a habit, it means you keep things like black beans, white beans, chickpeas, hummus, uh, onions, garlic, shallots around. You always have them as part of a meal and that's a really good way to further cultivate healthy species.
0: Okay. If I buy fermented vegetables or or something like sauerkraut or fermented beets or something like that, if I buy them fermented, do you recommend the same thing that you recommended for kombucha, which is to leave it out and let it continue to ferment? Is that a thing? Yeah. And you
1: can leave it out. I I have a kombucha on my kitchen counter. It's been there for a a month.
0: You are kidding me. Does it not turn into alcohol?
1: You make a good point. Sometimes you get, the longer you go, it does get more alcohol, sometimes more acetic acid. So use your, use your smell and taste to know what, you know, because you, your kombucha is different than my kombucha, right? They're all different because different. Well,
0: you're microbes. making yours, are you?
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. There's a different mix of bacteria and a different mix of fungi. And you're right. The fungi, the fungal component can create um, alcohol. And so well,
0: Sounds like a win-win either
1: way. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things we do is we take a species of fungus, yeast, called Saccharomyces boulardii. And that's a rel- it's a cousin of Saccharomyces cerevisiae, which is the microbe used to make wine and beer. So we take this cousin, better suited to the human body. You can buy it as a commercial product. It's called, in, in the U.S., it's called FloraStore, F-L-O-R-A-S-T-O-R. And so what we do is take any juice, quart, liter, gallon, doesn't matter. Just make sure there's no preservatives. like So 100% sorbet. juice, 100% mm-hmm. juice, okay. No preservatives, no potassium sorbate, no sodium benzoate, all that crap, because they're antibacterial. So okay. just juice, like apple cider, not juice, but apple cider, coconut, pineapple, all kinds of juices. Empty one capsule. There's something like 6.5 billion counts in there. Cap it very lightly because you'll be shocked at how much gas is produced. You at, at 24 hours on the counter, kitchen counter, you're going to see it bubbling. There's so much fermentation going on. Refrigerate it at 48 hours because you want to stop fermentation. Because as you point out, if you go longer, you're going to get more alcohol. You get hard cider or a hard juice or some kind of wine, a fruit wine. So we stop at 48 hours. This is the most important thing you can do. If you have exposure to an antibiotic. So let's say you have to take an antibiotic. You have a urinary tract infection or something. Well, you know that antibiotic screws up your microbiome hugely. You lose important species. They reduce healthy species, allows unhealthy species to proliferate. Well, drinking the Saccharomyces boulardii, and we make it as a juice to jack up the counts. Big, big, big jump up in counts. So it's more effective. So we drink a quarter, half cup several times a day 3 4 times a day and that has a huge effect on bringing back order it keeps things in order protects the good guys and suppresses the bad guys so it's a really easy and make your next batch from a little of the prior batch and this is true for any fermented food you don't you only have to buy something at the start then you can make future batches from and that by the way the fermentation of your kombucha for extended period further reduces the sugar down to it should be almost not sweet
0: Okay. This is exciting to me because honestly, in all seriousness, making my own kombucha just sounds like too much work for me. But what you're saying is I can either buy a hundred percent juice or frankly, I'm willing to make my own juice. So I can juice something in my mm-hmm. juicer. And if I buy, let me see if I can say this, Sacromyces Boulardi. what?
1: Saccharomyces Bulardi after, after right. uh, Dr. Boulard,
0: okay. the French doctor. You are giving me my homework. Like I have my work cut out for me because everyone listening knows that I will put all of this. I will listen to this back slowly and I will put all of this in the show notes so that you don't have to do the work and I'll do it for you. But anyway, I can buy that and I could put a capsule in the juice that I've made or bought and create my own probiotic drink. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can handle that.
1: But just don't cap it tightly because it really does it, it you'll be shocked. You know, I, I find my you know when you see a, a fish tank, you can't help but watch the fish. I find myself staring at the uh, Saccharomyces (laughs) bloodies juices because there's this bubble in my crate. Wow.
0: I have one more question for you. Okay. So we talked about the yogurt and in your book, super gut, you actually have all of the details. This is all laid out in there. Obviously you go into an extreme amount of detail for the reader, but when you talk about your high potency probiotic yogurt, you do talk about using dairy and you touched on this, but I'm so confused because everything I've ever heard and frankly experienced is that dairy is going to. Destroy my gut. So, can you just walk us back through that slowly as to why it's okay, even though I still might use coconut milk. Walk me through why you're okay with using dairy for this probiotic yogurt.
1: So, if you're lactose intolerant, uh, you essentially eliminated the lactose by extended fermentation. It's very different than oh. uh, dairy products off the shelf. So, there's very little lactose remaining. So, recall that that lactic acid does accumulate. And it reduced the pH. So the real problem with dairy is the so-called casein beta A1. So if you're breastfeeding a baby, you're providing casein beta A2. That's the human form of casein. Well, the cow, at least in North America, form of casein differs by one amino acid. And that's called casein beta A1. So by this extended fermentation, you broke down a lot of the case. It's still there, but it's, it's in fragments. And so it's less likely to trigger uh, immune responses, but you can also use a two milk that's available now. What is a two milk? So that's the, has the form of casein identical to human, uh, mm. casein. You, and you can buy that in most major cities. Now Okay. Uh, you can buy goat or sheep it has that gamey flavor, but that's a two also, uh, or as you point out, you can use coconut milk. The only problem with coconut milk is, uh, it likes to separate the oil, likes to separate. So what we do is you don't have to preheat. They do that commercially you don't have to do that. What I start with, uh, or what I advocate starting with is organic half and half, higher fat, 18% fat, because fat does not make you fat. People say, oh, it's going to make me fat. It does not make you fat. I
0: know, we should call food, nutrient fat, something else.
1: <laughs> so I start with organic half and half. In other words, you get a rich, thick, creamy, and result. You don't have to preheat to improve mouthfeel. They do that in commercial settings because they're using skim milk or, okay. or 1%. We don't do that. We start with 18% fat. So we already have a good mouthfeel, uh, but with coconut milk, you preheat uh, to 180, let it cool, add guar gum uh, and prebiotic fiber, and then you have to hit it with a blender for about a minute to thicken it up, and then add your microbes. So there's a few different steps with the uh, coconut milk. It's all in the Super Gut book. It's it's very easy, uh, and there's other things you can ferment. And by the way, you can you can even get your kombucha and make kombucha from kombucha.
0: Okay, is that in here? Did I miss that?
1: <laughs> that specific thing is not.
0: But th- I'll think look of it, it like,
1: up. You know, if you buy a cucumber and you save the seeds, you don't have to buy cucumber if you plant them in your backyard, of course. Same thing here. <laughs> think of the fermented foods as seeds.
0: Fair enough. Okay. So, what I found super interesting about your recipes is that I honestly did not know that I, could, because I'm not a whiz in the kitchen, you may have deduced that by now, but I found it fascinating that I can just buy a certain strain of, in this case, lactobacillus reuteri, but we'll, again, we'll link to all of this, but then mix it with prebiotic fiber, which can be inulin or raw potato starch. And then the liquid, like we're talking about, and you can make your own gut medicine. I just find it fascinating that I can do all of this and that I can do it so readily and not expensively in my kitchen.
1: hmm yeah. And it's tasty. It, these, these, these fermented foods are, are delicious. You know, one of the other uh, features of Rutteri I didn't mention is because it takes up residence in the small bowel, the entire length of the small bowel, it also produces what are called bacteriocins. These are natural antibiotics effective against the species of SIBO, the stool mm. species. So is loss of rotori part of the reason why SIBO is now epidemic? If you look at all, through all this evidence on SIBO, you'll see that it's easy to exceed 100 million people in this country alone with SIBO, one in three. It's very common. It's one of the big reasons why there's such an epidemic of SIBO is the loss of Reuterite. Now, by the way, I put that to work. I have a recipe that I call SIBO yogurt. So if you do have SIBO, the conventional answer one is either ignore it or tell you you don't have, there's nothing wrong with you, uh, even if you prove it to the doctor that they're so ignorant of this issue. The functional medicine docs and some of those are much better informed, but they'll give you a prescription for an antibiotic. Well, you know, I really object to this idea that treating a problem largely caused by antibiotics with another antibiotic.
0: Well, here's my takeaway today. This has been fast and furious and amazing. So thank you, Dr. Davis. But my takeaway from you is that there is so much within our control and within our influence, and it doesn't require a prescription and it might require a few minutes in the kitchen and printing out the show notes from this episode. (laughs) We can actually make some real change in our lives that has real move the needle health benefits.
1: Oh, you catch on so quick. You are at, at, exactly right. People have astounding amount of control over their health. The sad irony is the last person to ask about it is the doctor. If you say to the doctor, hey, doc, I want to restore lactobacillus rotorite to my GI tract, including the upper GI tract, where it produces bacteria and sends a signal via the uh, gut-brain axis to my hypothalamus to release oxytocin. What do you think? He has no idea what you're talking about. So, Or, or even... Real pedestrian questions like, you know, what's the value of of fermented foods? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) So the presumed experts, the purported experts in health are not experts. So that's why your listeners have to be their own health experts. But once you get a
0: little benign guidance,
1: it's extraordinary what people can accomplish.
0: Well, I am super glad that you went rogue, and I thank you for your work, Dr. Davis. And I, like I said, like I promised the listeners, I will create some really robust notes for this episode because I know we covered so, 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 so much, and we will make it very easy to get your hands on a copy of Super Gut. Dr. Davis, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, Ella. Thanks for what you're doing because, as you know, this message often cannot be communicated in major media. It's unfriendly to the advertisers like Big Pharma. So I'm very grateful for what you're doing and getting these kinds of messages to your audience.
0: Thank you. Okay, that's a wrap. I hope you enjoyed today's show and got something out of it that you can use. If you did and you want to learn more, find me on Instagram at with ella, or get the show notes and links at OnAirElla.com. There's no with, it's just OnAirElla.com. Thanks for listening, thank you for sharing the show, and thanks for inspiring me. You are, quite simply, awesome.